Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. This is a big holiday weekend in the U.S., and I know all over the world it's become an unofficial kickoff for holiday sales. This year's a little bit different, but we'll talk about that today. This will be a solo episode for the week. I'll be releasing interviews probably the week after next. I'll be talking to a pretty large retailer about their Black Friday, Cyber Monday experience. So that is something to look forward to in a couple of weeks. I'm also going to talk beyond Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I'm going to share a little story from my Thanksgiving of 2009 fighting fraud, which will show just how much we, how far we've come along. And then also talk a little bit about what some analysts are predicting as far as fraud goes on Black Friday. And I share a little bit of tips that were provided on my call with several very large retailers in the U.S., uh, some of the biggest, kind of in anticipation for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. We had that uh, last week. And then I will just share a little bit about other trends I'm seeing in fraudster forums and others in advance for this week. I know that for a lot of you, especially in retail, work for companies that ship physical goods, this is kind of dubbed your Super Bowl. This is a very big week for you. And while so many people will be enjoying more holiday days and days off, you all will be working hard. And I, for one, very much appreciate you and have been there myself. Just kind of going back a little bit into the history of this upcoming weekend, it used to be the official kickoff for holiday sales. I mean, just maybe 10 years ago. And then the last several years, it's been Veterans Day in the U.S., which is November 11th. But this year, because of so many expected supply chain issues, as well as retailers wanting to take full advantage of being able to advertise early, I've started to see holiday sales happen in October. And a lot of savvy consumers are already done or halfway done with their holiday shopping. I am not one of them. But there are a lot of people who have. So I know in talking with a lot of retailers recently, you all are seeing much higher uh, volume of sales and it can be indicative of holiday sales or people wanting to buy gifts for themselves at this time at you know good sales and deals. So it's more volume and more volume of sales means the bigger the haystack, the harder it is to find the needles. And in this scenario, Needles are fraud, haystack are sales. A, a lot of people that I, I know have said that traditional credit card fraud really hasn't increased during the holiday season by percentage of sales. It definitely increases by volume, by count, but by percentage of sales, it's about the same. However, this year more than ever, I think we're going to see a lot of different types of fraud. It's not just going to be credit card fraud. So I'm going to try to keep my rosy demeanor as going through some of the information this week. Just, I don't want to overwhelm anyone, but I think it's good to know what's coming. I have said before that sometimes I feel like the 
a weather forecaster for fraud. And so if a tsunami's coming, I'd rather you know about it than have it hit you unexpectedly. I did want to say that even though there's just one podcast episode this week and next week, it's a great opportunity to listen to earlier episodes and conversations that I've had. I know I highlighted a few on last week's podcast, but some of the favorites that I hear about often from people that listen to the podcast definitely include the most recent interviews with Robbie Perry. He talked about his perspective from an issuer. He worked for Chase and Capital One in their fraud department. And so that was really helpful to a lot of people and really fascinating. Monica Sharp, I spoke with her last year. She really was integral in heading up Apple's fraud program and their own proprietary system. And she led the product and program team there for many years. And she since has left Apple, but she spent some time with me talking about everything she could. And I think you'll find that very interesting. And for retailers, as you're doing manual review or walking the dog or trying to, you know, escape family craziness this weekend, I think you'll find it fascinating if you haven't listened to it before. I uh, Last year, I also got to interview Eric Rainsberg, who at the time was at Macy's. He's now at Huntington National Bank, but he had some great things to say about retail fraud. I just kind of a fun topic, fun in our very weird fraud brains, I should say. A few months ago, I sat down with my former podcast partner from the online broadcast, Brett Johnson, and we talked about the Frank Abagnale scandal and the book, The Greatest Hoax on Earth, Catching Truth While We Can, which actually is still sitting on the side of my desk. I just looked over and there it is. So that is a definite interesting conversation. And then lastly, a lot of consumers are going to be selecting Buy Now, Pay Later or BNPL as it's known in the e-commerce and payments. And I did a whole episode a few months ago on how fraudsters are using BNPL as a side door for fraud. And that's not meaning I'm not specifically talking about BNPL getting defrauded. I'm talking about how fraudsters are using that as a method to defraud retailers later on. So that is a fascinating one if you haven't heard it. And especially if your company is accepting buy now, pay later, I definitely think you should listen to that episode. And also the tips that I provide on what merchants who have seen this trend are doing that can help you prevent it, which I think is always important. Let's talk about the prevention and the tips and tricks and not just talk about the problems. So as I said, for retailers this week, it'll be the one of the busiest of the year. I was in the retail sector. Well, I mean, I worked with several retailers on the consultant level as recently as two years ago. Actually, my social media reminded me yesterday that I was in Europe training a manual review team for a fairly well-known luxury brand in anticipation of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I mean, they couldn't have cut it more close, but it was maybe five days before U.S. Thanksgiving when myself and the project manager that was assigned to me, who is a rock star and now a good friend of mine, flew to Europe to train this team. It was really successful. Their manual review rates were significantly high. They didn't have a lot of resources. We were able to train them on a new tool. I you know, walked them through training for a day and then the next day kind of shadowed them and things. And that was really successful. And so I've definitely, you know, that's just one example of retailers I've worked with recently. But then also at the beginning of the, my career, when I was on the merchant side, I worked for a company called Back Borrower Steel. 
I think that if you were to Google them, I think they still have a website, but I don't know who's running it or what it is. So, you know, primarily the whole team that I worked with is no longer there. The investments are no longer there, but I think they're still, it's still there. I don't know how to explain that, but I think there's still a website, but definitely the inventory and everything was much bigger about 10 years ago. It was featured in Sex and the City, the movie. So that definitely made it very popular. For those of you that aren't familiar with the term or with the company and its concept, it was an online handbag and accessory rental service. So people could rent 10, 20, $30,000 handbags, jewelry, sunglasses for a week or a month. And it was my job to determine A, if they were who they said they were, and B, if they rented these items, if they could pay for the rent the next week or month and the next term, and that they'd return it. So I have never really been big into luxury handbags, although I've had the pleasure of working with several companies that uh, do have those um, and that do sell them. But I really love a challenge. And so that was why I was there. I used to tease the guys at Netflix, like you guys work so hard to, you know, get reoccurring revenue for $9.99 a month. I was working on like $500 a month or $2,000 a month during the recession, when eBay was at its height, also when Sex and the City, the movie came out. So there were a lot of factors working against me. And uh, I, but I was really proud of from 2008 to 2010, but like beginning of, anyways, I was there for about two and a half years and I was able to implement our own system because the fraud tool, the only fraud tool that existed back then was not applicable to rentals. And so we, I worked with engineering to be able to build our own system that would tell us what we needed. I had a team of three people. I had things pretty under control before Thanksgiving of 2009. We had reduced chargebacks by 97%. We had really reduced drop-offs and collections by 80%. It was in a really good place. And I was looking forward to go spending time with family. My grandfather had died about a month before and I was very close to my grandfather and my grandmother. So I was spending that time with my grandmother and really looking forward to it. And I worked a half day on that Wednesday before Thanksgiving. For those of you not in the U.S., Thanksgiving is always on a Thursday in November. And I get this email that at the same time every customer did because the chief marketing officer dubbed me the chief sales prevention officer, although I <laughs> begrudged the title. I also kind of wore it with a badge of honor because I knew that the majority of the sales I was preventing were ones that would, you know, they, the transaction may be for $500, but they're trying to get an item for 10000 So I took that job very seriously. He had taken me off of the list of previewing emails. And so I got this marketing email at the same time all of our customers did saying that the entire website was going to be 50% off on Thanksgiving Day and the day after. No heads up, no nothing. I had already given my team the weekend off. No idea that was going to happen. So now you could obtain a $45,000 handbag for a week for about $600. You better believe that was a golden goose that everybody wanted that day. Anytime I would release it back into inventory, it'd be back in brought back in my fraud queue. But anyway, we had to manually review every order at the time. And fortunately, an average day would be about 100 orders. So it really wasn't that big. It wasn't the scale that I'm used to now or that so many of you are. But we were, you know, it was, we didn't have a lot of tools. And so there was a lot of guesswork and all that. And I guess the end of my story is that when I, I did still drive the three hours to my grandmother's house, but 
I woke up at 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day and I only took a break for 20 minutes for dinner with my family and then continued to be on my laptop pushing orders through. I couldn't take the day off because the warehouse needed to pick and pack all the orders the next day. And that to me was really hard because I just wanted to spend time with my family. But at the same time, it's always been close to my mind at this time of year, just knowing what those in fraud fighting in retail go through. Now, fortunately, there's a lot more technology now. And so there's a lot of, you know, whether it's a rules engine or a machine learning system for transaction review, a lot of times there are the majority of orders are being auto passed. So orders by, you know, returning customers or customers that, you know, meet certain thresholds, they're just being auto-passed. They're not having to be reviewed by a person. And then orders that are, you know, 100% fraud, for instance, an email address that already tried to commit fraud or is tied to a fraud chargeback or has been somehow confirmed as fraud will just be auto-rejected. But then there's about mm, 5 to 10% of orders, depending on the company. Sometimes it's more than that, sometimes it's less, that gets set aside for manual review. And that's what a lot of teams are going to be doing this weekend. So if you don't work for a retailer, but you are shopping on retailer sites, just, you know, think about that. And you can add them to what you're thankful for is, you know, manual review fraud analysts. I certainly am. Not because I think my orders are going through manual review, but just because I've had that experience of not getting a weekend, not getting a holiday with my family. And I know a lot of you who are listening are in the same boat. So just wanted to make sure that we call that out, show our appreciation for you guys, for sure. You know, the holidays can also be tricky because there are a lot of good orders that can look risky. So, you know, I definitely shop on websites I don't usually shop on during the holidays, especially as my teenager gets older. I know a lot of other people do. So you're seeing new customers. Also, oftentimes people will just ship items to their family member's house. It saves on shipping as long as your nieces and nephews don't run to the door and try to open everything that comes from the UPS guy like mine do. It used to just ship it to them and that was easier. Now it has to come like in a big box from the auntie with, you know, do not open till December 25th on it. But anyway, so those are just some of the reasons why it can look riskier. And you definitely never want to decline an order that looks risky but isn't because then you're often declining a customer for life and they'll just go to your competitor. So it's a tight rope all the time. I was looking up some statistics on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and it's, I don't know, I always like to look at what's being measured because the headlines can be so misleading sometimes. So in, for instance, there was a headline about how fraud was going to go up 204 or 209. Oh, shoot. I, <laughs> I already exited out of the article, but it was over 200% this holiday season. And I was like, what? and I looked at it and it was a study from FICO um, talking about, oh, I'm sorry, this is a different study. This one is from, sorry. Oh, okay. So online payment fraud surges by 208% ahead of Black Friday was the headline. But the measurement was from phishing emails that look like they're coming from legitimate e-commerce companies. So they weren't looking at dollars. They weren't looking at transactions. They were looking at the attempts and it was from Kaspersky Labs and they're looking at phishing emails. And I did think this was something to call out because just in the month of October of this year, they saw over 1.9 million financial phishing attacks coming from e-commerce companies. That's it. 
different from, I mean, in September, it was only 627,000. So about three times as many in October. And just in a one week's time at the end of October to the beginning of November, they saw over 221,000 emails with Black Friday in the title. So I wanted to call that out because that tells me we need to be watching out for account takeovers pretty closely. Whenever those phishing emails go out from well-known brands, trusted brands, they do that because they know that a large majority of consumers that have email shop with those brands. They often will get you to click on the link. They'll say your password is expired or that it's been compromised or you need to log into your account for some reason and you click on the link and then you're going to a phishing site that looks just like the legitimate one. You put in your username and password and now they have it. Even if your company isn't one of the ones that are branded on those phishing emails, that doesn't mean that they're not now going to go through credential stuffing and try that username and password or that email and password at multiple locations. So knowing that account takeover is on the rise in retail is something to look out for sure. I want it. Another one is according to Arcos Labs, online merchants are going to face 60% more fraud than a year ago, especially with account takeovers and gift card sales. And another one is according to FICO, three quarters of uh, e-commerce retailers in the US, UK, France, and Germany have seen fraud increase since the pandemic. And a third of those retailers have lost 5 to 10% of revenue to fraud last year. So I kind of feel like that is like the weatherman saying, hey, it's raining right now and you can just look out your window uh, and know it's raining. You guys know that there's been more fraud. But what I really want to highlight is it's not just credit card fraud and ATOs anymore. It's, And I don't mean just, those are still obviously alive and well. But I've been talking about this for a while and I'm going to continue. Refund fraud is all the rage. So before I go into that, I did just want to share a couple little tidbits about credit card fraud and transaction fraud that came out of my most recent retailer collaboration call. And I don't typically share highlights from these. I think I probably should, but I obviously honor and really respect the privacy of the retailers that are involved in that. So I'll never share names or anything, you know, people names or company names or anything like that. But they, I just host a call bi-weekly for uh, e-commerce retailers to come on and, and talk with each other and share information. And it's been a gift to me as well as to so many retailers. And uh, a couple things that came up, one I thought was really interesting. There was a merchant that shared that they, their marketing department has done a significant push to participate in Google shopping. I know as a consumer, sometimes, you know, if I'm Googling something, it'll come up shopping and you can just kind of look through who sells it and for how much, and then you can just click on the item. Well, this retailer has recently been looking at the logs and factoring in where are these orders coming from into the risk, especially for affiliate fraud, which is going to have to deserve its own episode and I really want to do that soon because there's been some interesting e-commerce fraud mysteries that I've been able to help solve because of you know knowing that affiliate fraud is happening but put a bookmark in that but they've been looking at the logs where are these customers coming from are they coming from social media are they coming from a suspicious blog are they coming from you know different places because a lot of times fraudsters will use the same route, right? So they were, but they noticed a lot of suspicious orders when looking at the logs, they couldn't figure it out. And especially the time between entering their website and checkout was quite short. And that can also, that can be indicative of fraud because fraudsters aren't going to usually uh, browse around your website. They're just going to go find the item, click on it and know the checkout path. 
I mean, especially if they have bots, but even if it's, you know, human bots, as they say, or humans placing orders. Well, they found that when whenever customers are coming from Google Shopping and that's their their purchase path and how they're getting to your website, the time between purchase, click to the website and purchase is quite short because they've already done their looking and their browsing on Google. So I want to just kind of call that out because if you are also looking at where people are coming from, how long they're shopping on the website, if the provider you use is looking at that and calculating that into transaction scoring, if you are looking at that manually or looking at that data at a high level in a report to then maybe go back and reverse engineer and find a few orders prior to shipping, however you're using that data, if you are, and it, it can be very helpful information to have, but often the first page view won't be your homepage, it'll be the product page, and it will say Google Shopping on it, it most of the time. If it doesn't, then you just know that the first page is your product page, and that was most likely from Google. So that can really help you prevent false declines. So if your partner or your, your technology partner is doing this, you talk with them about how you can add that into the calculation so that you're not issuing false declines. Another thing that came up was one retailer found a reroute ring that was impersonating their shipping carrier, shipping carriers like UPS, FedEx, USPS, et cetera, as if they were from customer service at that company. And so they would call and say, you know, they would, they would ship the item to the cardholder. So they'd steal a credit card, ship it to the same address as the billing address. Once the order was approved and shipped off, then they would call their shipping carrier and just impersonate a customer sales rep for that retailer and say, oh, you know what? The customer just called. They need this shipped to their, you know, grandchild's house or their niece or nephew or whoever it is, whoever they say it is. And they give them another address. And then that what the fraudster is more likely to have the order um, approved. One tip that came out of the conversation was there were several other retailers that said that they have had this conversation with their shipping partners after having this be a problem to restrict reroutes that can only come from specific email addresses, usually just five or six. Uh, you'll probably need to talk with customer service to make sure that's, you know, if, uh, something that you can deploy, but that is much more secure than just saying anyone who calls from our, our call center, because clearly that can be socially engineered and impersonated. I think those are the two things I just kind of wanted to highlight from that call. There definitely are, you know, lots of others. Sometimes people are asking, you know, what vendor do people use for this or that? Or how do you do this? Or all kinds of stuff. And I'll keep trying to highlight some things from those calls as long as I keep them anonymous. Speaking of refund fraud, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I'm going to keep talking about it as long as it's a problem. And I think that means I'm going to be talking about it for quite some time, unfortunately. On the last episode, I read an email from a retailer that had a warehouse shipping mystery, so to speak, and that falls in this category. But I was looking at some of the refund fraudster channels today, the forums and channels today, actually for a client of mine who is a large retailer. And I noticed lots of the holiday posts in these forums and also outside of them. So they're going outside to social media channels. They're going to various places where they can post videos and other things to say, hey, guess what? You don't have to pay full price this year. You can just hire, you can place an order. We'll show you how to do it for you know this specific 
these specific stores. Once that your item comes, then you contact us, you fill out a form, no big deal. We get your money back and all you have to do is pay us 10%. They really are very consumer friendly. They have FAQs, they have customer service. These professional refunders are really <laughs> getting bold and I've watched them as they evolve and I've watched them adapt to various merchant policy changes and it's really been interesting for me because oftentimes I know the refund policy changes that have happened internally on the merchant side, either because I'm working with them formally or informally. And then I'll see that change reflected fairly quickly, actually, on the refunder pages. Sometimes they'll just say, we're not offering services to this store anymore. Other times they'll adapt it and say, oh, it has to be under $500 or it's going to take up to two weeks to be able to get your money back, but we'll get it back for you. There's all different intricacies depending on the item and the company, et cetera. But there have been a growing number of merchants who I'm proud several of them were in my refund fraud workshop who have really uh, been able to whittle this down quite well. However, it's going strong. And the thing I worry about most is the fact that the majority of fraud teams and fraud systems are tuned to look for suspicious orders. The majority of orders that will hit you with refund fraud, they're not going to be suspicious. Your transaction monitoring system isn't going to pick it up. Most of the time, your manual review team won't pick it up. The ones that are good at this, the ones that are either being coached or they've figured it out themselves, are creating new accounts with new information. But they are valid people information. So they might be using their sisters or their brothers or their moms or their dad's information. But it's a real person who can be verified at that address and it is their payment method. Or it's a prepaid card, so it doesn't have a registered person to that payment method. But either way... They're looking legitimate in a transaction monitoring system. That's why this fraud is becoming so rampant. But instead of committing the fraud at the time of purchase, they're committing the fraud after purchase, post-purchase. And that's what is really hard for merchants because we've really established all of our systems and everything to be able to determine fraud risk at time of purchase, not necessarily post-transit. I have yet to see any fraud technology that can tell people's intentions and know, okay, this order is going to file, this person behind this order is going to file a friendly fraud charge back in a month. This person for this order is going to issue, you know, call and claim that they didn't receive it when they really did. So then you're going to issue a full refund and they get to keep the product. So unfortunately, there's a lot of the what can be done is processes and policies, and a lot of them do take some time. And so that's not something, unfortunately, at this time of year you're going to be able to implement. But I did just want to provide a few things that can be done during this crunch time just to kind of get you thinking about it. So you're not just sitting here doing nothing. I think if you don't have it measured, that's your first priority. All of us in tech know that if you want to get any new project or resources for a project done, even in the new year, you need to have a measurement of the size of the problem. And so at minimum, what you can do is work with customer service to ask them to track all of the uh, inventory not received claims, all of the empty box claims, the claims that come in where they get issued refunds. You can also ask the warehouse to track the tracking numbers for items that come on a bubble mailer or that come on an empty box or a box filled with items that you did ship out. 
Some of the things that have been listed, you know, kitty litter, a can of peas, little green army men, pinata candy, dirty laundry, toilet paper, all kinds of things. I even had a couple merchants come up to me at uh, a recent uh, speaking engagement that I had saying that their warehouse received marijuana in place of uh, some name brand tennis shoes or sneakers. Another one actually has received a few loaded handguns, which makes sense when you understand what they sell. But those were more accidental, I think. But usually it's very low cost items that are being shipped and returned to your warehouse in place of the item. And they're taking advantage of that window of time when the tracking number shows that it was delivered to your warehouse, but your warehouse most likely hasn't processed it. So they haven't uh, written it down in the account. The other issue, and I've talked about this before, is that they're exploiting the tracking number not being tied to the account. So if the warehouse just looks up the tracking number and has no account information insider on top of the box, they don't necessarily know which account to notate that there was no items. Only customer service can look up the account number with the person on the phone and then see the tracking number within the account. So that's in the majority of order management systems. I know they're all different, but that's uh, a lot of it's because tracking numbers are refreshed every 90 to 120 days. So it does it hasn't made a lot of sense to be able to look it up in that way. However, your warehouse can keep a Google spreadsheet of all the tracking numbers that have an issue that may be you know, someone in escalation at customer service can have access to and then do a quick search when somebody claims that the item arrived at the warehouse and haven't received their refund yet. That's just one little thing that can be done to try to prevent it. Other things that can be done, it, this can be a little bit more time intensive, but you can ask, you know, especially just keep in touch with your customer service management to determine the impact to your company of all of this, but if they're starting to see a real steep increase in INRs, which I predict you're probably seeing now or even in the next two, three weeks, all the way up to the holidays, but especially right now is when people are being instructed to issue or to place these orders. Well, they know they're getting their money back. They always enjoy a sale because they have to front the money up front. They have to float it, as they say. So Anyway, it's going to be busy, but if you are able to, depending on volume and everything else within your company, resources, et cetera, you could ask to have your company consider a SLA, so a service level agreement of within 24 hours to have refunds approved. So they have to go through some kind of an approval process. It can work out great if you have customers filling out affidavits, you know, saying that they didn't receive the item or the box was empty. Other times you, you can just have a list of accounts for people to review and maybe assign a senior fraud analyst this job if you have one to spare, just to be able to double check that there are no accounts linked to that. So sometimes they will trip, they will use the same phone number or the same email or, you know, something like that to link it. But if that original order wasn't marked as fraud, it's not really going to be flagged in your transaction monitoring system. But you can see that when the refund is requested before issuing the refund, you would need to stay up on top of that. You know, you'd really want to keep that under 24 hours, but that's something that can be done. I'm going to be offering the refund fraud workshop again in January or February, depending on the demand and have started a wait list. So while that's not going to solve the problem right now, I know that Several of the attendees of my previous refund fraud workshop said it was extremely helpful to get them prepared for the holidays 
and just be able to put a few small steps in place, but really to understand the intricacies of what's being done and how it's being done and what it looks like inside your systems. That's been really helpful to people and it's helped them be able to start to create processes and policies to prevent the specific exploits. This is something that is going to continue. Like I said, I'll probably keep talking about it forever, but that is what these guys are talking about. And it is insane. And some of these groups on Telegram specifically have over 40,000 people in it. These aren't small groups. Uh, you no longer need a Tor browser for it. So lots of people are joining. And I know that there, some of them are people like me or people like you that are in those groups. But there's also, you know, Reddit forums. There's you know, all over Facebook and Instagram and all over the place. So they're doing their advertising at the same time you are. And they're basically stealing your customers and uh, they're the only ones that are making a profit, these professional refunders. So on that note, I just feel like this ray of sunshine over here, <laughs> just Susie Sunshine talking about fraud. But, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't want to be in any other industry. I hope that you get some satisfaction as you are reviewing orders, that you are helping to make people's holidays great and helping the world go around, so to speak, not to be all altruistic or anything, but it can be important to remember the impact that we're having and the purpose of this role. With that, I hope you all have a great rest of the week. If you're in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving. If you're outside the U.S., enjoy this quiet few days with very few emails from your U.S. partners. And hopefully everyone has a safe and sound week and I will talk to you again next week.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.